Schools are one of the most important aspects of a city and greatly impact its economic development efforts. The problem is, simply put, school ratings are biased. Most school ratings focus on test scores, which data shows are driven by parents' income and not the quality of the school. When school ratings are not truly rating the school's performance, it can have serious impacts on a community. It perpetuates sprawl, robs parents of time with their children, robs children of valuable diversity experiences, impacts real estate prices, and can undercut a city's entire economic development efforts. In today's episode, we're joined by Tom Brown of School Sparrow to discuss just that. Listening to Eyes on the Street, a civic brand podcast. Conversations on community branding, engagement, and marketing. So, welcome back to another Eyes on the Street podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about school ratings, and I'm excited to have Tom Brown from School Sparrow join us. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. So Tom, we work with communities across the country and we do a lot of work on economic development projects that are, are very focused on attracting and retaining talent to that community. And so we see firsthand how real estate impacts that. And when we take a deeper dive looking into real estate, we see how much schools impact real estate and where people choose to live and buy. And so I, I know that that kind of follows some of your background in art. So I'm curious, just how did you get into this and, and kind of what is your background and how did you ultimately get into school ratings? Sure. Um, so it, it all started when I got a real estate license. I, I got that license to capture fees on transactions that were part of an investment fund that I had um, created. Um, and I actually took the test to become my own brokerage so that I wouldn't have to hang my license somewhere and share my commissions, I could just keep 100% of it. And in the process, I inadvertently started like an operating real estate brokerage company because one day a realtor asked to be a part of my brokerage and we, we uh, came up with something that worked and he started doing transactions and I brought on other agents and they needed leads. Uh, and, and so ultimately School Sparrow, which is my website, was built to as a lead generator for my business. Uh, we tied in uh, school boundaries with the MLS and um, school performance data. So people could do an interesting search where they just put in their real estate parameters. I need three bedrooms under 400,000. They'd hit search, they get a list of the top 30 schools that um, you know, met their requirements in terms of the real estate is like the top 30 they could afford or that had real estate available that worked for them or could work for them. Um, and that solved a problem that, you know, the, your, you know, the word of mouth that you hear from your friends and family is going to be a small kind of myopic view of your, all your options. School Sparrow just kind of gave you a bigger list and um, it was popular. People used it. And through School Sparrow, I ended up helping dozens of dozens of people find homes when schools were their primary concern. I learned a lot about how, you know, how that process works, uh, especially for people moving to a new city where they just don't know anything. Um, they, the, you know, the ratings are influential and they want a seven or better, or they'll just skip over the school. They have to have a way to narrow down 400 schools, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
part of that's neighborhood, but you know, to get down to those five contenders that they're actually going to go visit, if that it might only be two or three, that they're actually going to go visit, which is the best way to find a school, by the way, go visit. Um, you know, it's a narrow, narrow it down to those, you know, those shortlisted schools. They, they had to have a system and that system is a seven cutoff. I heard that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think a six feels like a D. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but my, my, in my home, a D wasn't acceptable. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's, you know, um, that's how I kind of came to learn a lot about how people pick schools. But uh, over time, I learned that the ratings don't tell parents what they think they're telling them all the time. So it, it's uh, it turns out that those ratings through I've read some research that that revealed this to me. Those uh, those ratings are um, part, uh, partially formed by test scores. That test scores are a factor in those ratings, a significant factor. But test scores are seventy to eighty percent attributed to parent income, not the quality of the school. And when that, when I realized that, it suddenly just sparked um, some. Well, it kind of set a light off in my mind about some schools I was aware of that were that were rated low, but people in the community loved the school. Ravenswood Elementary, two out of 10 in 2012. People loved that school. It had an arts curriculum that was deeply embedded in every subject, um, but it was a two out of 10. And it, the reason is it had a diverse socioeconomic profile that um, just kind of artificially lowered the, the, the rating of the school. Uh, and so that, it, you know, when I discovered that, um, I realized this was a problem nationwide. Great schools is everywhere. It's on there on Zillow, Realtor.com. People are making you know, purchase decisions based on this, this data that actually is steering them from diverse lower income areas or schools that where parents have diverse and lower incomes to schools where parents have higher incomes. And unfortunately there's a racial difference between those, those schools. Mm -hmm. I guess to me, it sounds like, you know, the problem isn't, you know, parents wanting the best for their kids. And the problem isn't wanting your kid to go to a good school. It's just simply that the ratings that are out there that are the most common, they're essentially just, inaccurate or they're at least biased because they're not truly rating the school. They're rating other things. They're rating the parents' income or they're just focused on test scores. Yeah. You know, if you talk to great schools, they'll feel differently about this uh, for sure. Um, 30% of their score is test scores, but you know, I'll say to you, I would say to great schools, if a system's 30% biased, then it's just biased. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But in addition to that, in addition to that 30%, another 30% of their score is what they call equity. This measures how different schools are or students are performing at a school who are wealthy versus lower income. 
If there's a big gap, the school gets dinged. Well, often there is a big gap between wealthier kids and lower income kids, not because the school's bad, but because their experience from zero to five was so different. Right. Right. And you, t- you spoke to that a minute ago about just getting read to more. There's flashcards, there's trips to the museum and two educated parents, possibly one staying at home. You know, it's just a completely different environment when you look at the extremes. Right. Um, and that is why the there's a gap, not because the school's bad. So that actually has the, the opposite effect, ironically, of what they're trying to do. The equity score sometimes promotes the inequity because they're deeming schools that have diversity. Yeah. And they have socioeconomic diversity. There's, a, there's an achievement gap, and it's important to close that. But that gap isn't the school's fault. And so that's, that's another 30% of the score. Anybody that has kids or, or, or even doesn't have kids or thinking about having kids, or even they just want to make a smart real estate investment, it makes sense that that's going to be driven. The neighborhoods that they choose are going to be driven by the schools and, you know, great schools and, and the different school rating systems that are prominent on Zillow and those things. I mean, I think what I found as a, as a parent and a home owner is you don't really look into what makes up that score. You kind of just see the score and you kind of just take it as fact. And you, you, you know, like you said, most, most people want a seven or better. So they immediately are discounting a number of schools. And I guess what your data has shown as you've kind of, you guys have broken up, broken into the algorithm, kind of looked at different ranking factors. You've determined that that's actually not necessarily the only good schools, that there's more good schools. They're just kind of flying under the radar. And so I'm curious, kind of bringing it back to like a place and city standpoint, you know, what are the impacts of that? I'm, I mean, I'm curious, I know you showed me kind of some maps and kind of how that kind of people skip over neighborhoods and, and move further out. And love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, right. So, you know, schools have a big impact on real estate values. The better the school, the more valuable the real estate. And in Chicago, you can see it on even the boundaries of two schools. You know, Western Avenue is, you know, on one side, it's one school. And on the other side, it's the other. Homes on either side of the street that might have a 20% difference in value just based on the school. So there's all kinds of research that shows that uh, the quality of the school, the perceived quality of the school impacts the real estate values. Um, and the extent to which people are kind of avoiding a certain area because they, they perceive that, that school is low quality kind of artificially keeps prices down in that, in that neighborhood, in that school boundary, if that school is underrated, and many of them are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that and that has impacts on tax revenue and investment in the community, and and it it decreases the value proposition of that neighborhood when a school is unfairly underrated. It pushes people away and creates you know a problem for that school and that community. There are incredible schools in Chicago that are in in danger of getting shuttered combined with other schools because of low enrollment. Uh, it's a gentrifying area. Uh, Gowdy Elementary is a perfect example. It's, a gen- it's far up the gentrification curve, but new affluent families aren't sending their kids to the school 
partly because it's a five out of 10 on grade schools. Right. And so, um, you know, he's losing students. They're getting displaced. Three condo buildings are about to be, or three um, public housing buildings are about to be turned into condos. He's going to lose 50 students, the principal. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, tra- it's tragic. That's the kind of impact that, um, you know, these ratings can have on communities. Yeah. And it start. it sounds like it starts to become almost a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if a, if a school has a five out of 10 and then people are opting to not send their kid there, either they're sending them to private school or they're busing them somewhere else, or they're choosing to move further out. Um, you're taking, you know, good students and, and parents that would be involved in that PTA and that would make that school better. You're pulling them out of those schools. And so the, I think the parents may have the best intentions for their children, but they're actually, you know, making that school worse by making those choices. And it, it's probably just going to push that score further down and, and keep it down. And I know in, in major metro areas, when you do look at the schools that are in close to, you know, a city center, but that have a high rating, that's probably very expensive real estate. And so, you know, if you don't have millions and millions of dollars to buy a home, you're then having to move out to suburbs and further out. And when we talked last, you mentioned, you know, when you do that, there's kind of two things that the best two things you can do for your kid is give them your time and give them diversity and opportunity. And when you're moving further out and your commute time extends and you move them further out to an area that's less diverse, you're kind of robbing them of those, those two things. I mean, I guess I'd just be curious to, you know, kind of hear you speak a little more to that, of that idea of time. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's like very easy for parents to understand that, you know, your time with your kids is like really valuable and the extent to which you can locate yourself closer to work gives you more time at home. And uh, out of all everything education related, I think an extra half hour, hour a day with your kids overcomes the incremental difference of any two schools. Um, and and is just supremely important, especially if that time spent wisely, right? Um, and so I think that's easy to see. The other the thing that I think is harder for some parents to see is the impact that diversity, if it's done right, and that's a big caveat, if it's done right, the impact that diversity can have on a child. Because all the research that's out there that many parents aren't aware of shows that uh, kids in those diverse environments that are done right, have better social emotional skills, uh, better teamwork, better decision-making. They're uh, more empathetic, more accepting to other people and cultures. They're less racist. Those are the kids we want leading the next generation, right? And those things cannot be replicated in a homogenous school. So. I, you know, I think that is, um, I, I, I've worked with, with dozens and dozens of families and many of them, you know, wanted diversity. That was part of their, you know, their thing. And, uh, but I watched those same families make that decision. It's like, well, we don't like what we can get in Bell School, which is one of the, you know, better schools, higher ranking schools on, on the all Zillow and Redfin and everywhere else. Uh, but to get a home in Bell, you, you're going to spend over a million dollars. In Chicago, that is 
that's expensive. You know, I mean, you, you could you can buy a home for $10 million in Lincoln Park, but uh, compared to all the other big cities, Chicago's pretty affordable and having to spend a million dollars uh, for a home just doesn't work for, for many, many families. And so I've watched uh, families say they want diversity, want to be in the city, <clears throat> but then when they see the real estate they can afford in those schools that they've selected, they expand their search out to the suburbs and they end up moving to the suburbs and they, they lose the diversity and they lose time at home. When in reality, there are 65 schools in Chicago that are underrated that are really nines and tens. Gaudi is an example of that. Um, I published uh, outperform you know, blog posts of just identifying some of those outperformers, um, and you know those you know those schools have very affordable re- real estate and diverse environments. It's um, just a, a I think a if if these scores were better. Um, seen by people who are looking for homes in Chicago, Chicago would see more people moving into the city, not choosing the suburbs. Right. And I mean, the economic impacts for a city is massive. You know, when you take, you know, that many people and you're pushing them further out to other communities. And so, so what are you guys doing at at School Sparrow to address that and to try to rate schools properly? How are you looking at things differently? Sure. Um, there's, there's really three things, and two of them are, are related to test scores. Um, test scores are more indicative of parent income than they are school quality. Um, we address that by um, normalizing for parent income, right? So we um, essentially, if you can think about it in terms of a graph, we take every school and we plot parent income versus test scores and creates a scatter plot. And that scatter plot has a trend line. That trend line describes the average test score at every parent income level. Mm -hmm. That trend line is highly correlated. It mirrors the research that we've seen in other places that 70 to 80% of, of a test score is due to parent income. That trend line in our system becomes the bar. And that makes sense. You know, if you think about it, um, if you think about two schools that are a seven, they both have the same test scores. What can you tell me about those two schools in terms of which one's better? If you don't have the context of parent income, mm-hmm. nothing. Now, if I tell you one's located in a ritzy suburb like Kenilworth in Chicago and the other one's located in an early gentrifying neighborhood like Pilsen, in downtown Chicago, now how do you feel about these schools? Kenilworth, a seven is not impressive, but in Pilsen, a seven is very impressive. So my system would give a boost to that school in Pilsen. They would have a higher score. Kenilworth would also have a lower score. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what my system does. Um, parent, since parent income is so influential, 
by using that trend line, we're taking that out of the equation, we're taking parent income out of the equation and really comparing schools on, um, you know, what, like, what impact is the school having on, on that, you know, on, on this, on the students here, on performance. Um, we rate schools by the extent to which they have a departure from that trend line, from that average at their parent income level. And that reveals schools that are otherwise obscured, completely obscured from, from view. So a school could be performing, you know, well above the trend line. So clearly that school is doing something right, but because the income in that neighborhood is lower, it would typically perform lower. So in a, in a great school's rating, it kind of would be masked. It would be hidden. You wouldn't see, yeah. but in your system, you kind of highlight those outperformers and, and shine a light on, well, clearly this school is doing something right. They're overcoming incomes and, and making their students perform. Yeah, right. That's right. And, you know, and to be fair, you, you, we don't really know why those schools are outperforming, right? It could be something in the community. It could be the school. It could be great teachers. It, you know, it could be that these parents, for some reason, just create a better environment. Maybe there's a community organization behind that, you know, but whatever the reason, something's going on here that deserves a second look. I think for school districts, school districts underrate their own schools because they look at straight test scores. Boston's a perfect example of that. You know, they publish data that makes their schools look bad when in reality, you know, in great schools you might find or, or on Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com, you might find in Boston four or five schools that meet, you know, that beat that seven rating my system shows 46 in Boston that beat that rating. One of them identified, we, we, we came out with a list of, of the top 10. We didn't identify all 46. We identified the top 10. One of them was Mendel School, four out of 10 on grade schools, a 10 out of 10 on our system. Incredible school. Um, they had a higher than average. Uh, population of kids that don't perform well as well on these tests, generally speaking, limited English proficiency students and children with disabilities. We make adjustments for those as well. In addition to the parent income, we make adjustments uh, to schools based on their populations because if you have a higher population, your, your scores are going to be artificially lowered. This school is incredible, really strong principal, great culture, high retention. Um, they have, it's very popular among kids who have special needs or among parents who have special needs kids because they, there's, they do it right. Um, it's popular among enlightened parents who want their kids around that. Um, it's, the, it's an incredible empathy lesson that you just can't replicate anywhere. Mm -hmm. So awesome school, 10 out of 10 on our system, four out of 10 on great schools. After our rating got published, I learned just a few weeks ago that that principal, Julie Bott, was named principal of the year nationally by, um, I'm forgetting, it's NAECP, I believe, nationally. Um, 
and so it just, you know, it just, um, you know, it makes us feel great to have recognized that school. Yeah. So, you know, when we work with communities, a lot of times kind of the a light bulb moment for the community is from a branding project and why they should do it is that, hey, if we don't tell our story, somebody else is going to. And I think to me, that's very relevant to what you're doing is, you know, if, if the schools and the districts and the cities, if they're not going to tell the story about their schools and their districts, then you're going to leave it up to a system like great schools or Zillow or these different things to tell that story for you. And so I guess what would, what is your message to whether it's school leaders, principals, city leaders? I mean, what should they do about this? If, if they, if they go on great schools and like, man, our schools are better than this. Yeah, sure. You know, um, you know, I think it's this is really about changing the narrative, right? Changing public perception. And it's one thing for a school district or city or municipality to say, hey, our schools are great and they're underrated. But it's another for a, a, an impartial third party to come in that has a, 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 an algorithm and a, a, a methodical way to evaluate more truth about their schools than what's out there to uh, come in and make that same statement. Because that third party is more likely to have an impact, be more believable, because that, that third party has a, has a huge interest in their metho uh, methodology being trusted. They're not gonna compromise that to make a school look, you know, look better than, than it really does. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an integrity behind it that's really important to, to that consultant. And so School Sparrow does this for cities. We'll go in and we'll analyze cities and, and uh, show that city, hey, here's schools that are obscured today that we've identified. You should really understand what they're doing right as a model for other schools. In addition to that, here's some schools that may need some more support. You know, and and that's not that also can be obscured. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in in some of your higher income areas, most schools appear to be doing well, but some of those are in the bottom ten percent of schools in that high income bracket. So even though they have a high score, um, some of those schools may need some support. That's obscured as well right. today. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, you and I are actually working together on a project in, in Lubbock, Texas. Um, so we brought you guys in um, when we found out about your kind of methodology to, to look at the Lubbock schools. And, you know, I think just to kind of for the, for audience, for our audience of how it's relevant to a city branding project, you know, when we're looking at a community like Lubbock, you know, they've got an amazing university in Texas tech. So there's, you know, tons of students coming through there every year and every four years, but they lose a lot of those students because they go back to Dallas or Austin or Houston to, to start their career, you know, to start families. And a big part of the message that we're trying to communicate in Lubbock is that, and this is actually a great place to, to start your career, to, to raise a family and to do this. But when we looked at Lubbock schools with great schools, there was just three that met that seven or above criteria um, that you pointed out that so many families want. And one of those I believe was an all girls school. Um, and so there really was two. And I can see how, man, if we got everything right, if we had the jobs, 
We had the opportunity, the branding, the messaging, the real estate was all right. But if that family still felt like they didn't have a good choice with schools, they're going to choose to go to Dallas and Austin and Houston, where they feel like they have more seven and aboves um, to choose from. And so you ran the data for us on, on Lubbock and found that, you know, there was actually a number of um, out, you know, I can't remember what you call them, but kind of high performing schools. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge thing because if, you know, cities invest so much in economic development and talent attraction, but if at the end of the day, your school ratings are low, to me, that's like fishing with a hole in your net. You're going to do all this work and then someone's going to pass on, you know, your community because of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at those three schools that you talked about, one of them's an all-girls school, um, but the other two have are, are you know cover maybe not even ten percent of the kind of surface area of Lubbock, right? right? And it's on the fringe; it doesn't get into the downtown area. But when you you know look at our data you know, suddenly 60% of Lubbock is covered in high performing schools. That's a big difference. And um, that will have an impact on people's decisions to, um, to live in, you know, to live in Lubbock. It'll also have an impact on businesses who are thinking about relocating there because they need to bring their, their people with them. And if um, it doesn't appear like a, a, you know, a child can get from elementary through high school with good school options, then that's a deterrent for the business as well. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just the overall brain drain or, you know, you're not attracting that talent, you know, and, and all the other things that that does for a community from art and culture and economics, you know, when you lose out on talented people that are going to, you know, look to put down roots in a community. I mean, the, the cost of that is, is massive if, if a community doesn't get that right. And so I think, you know, I, I agree, it is super important for people to focus on that. But yeah, if everybody's going to say that their school's great, so it definitely helps to have, you know, a third party that's focused on, you know, the data and the algorithm, making sure that, you know, because you don't have an incentive in, you know, saying a school's higher or lower, you know, you just want to let the data do the talking. So. Yeah, absolutely. I have an incentive for our, our algorithm to be trusted. And, um, you know, we've we spent a lot of time thinking about you know, how to do this. And uh, we, we, we do it in a you know, more nuanced, careful approach. Um, you know, and it you know, we've it's been you know, tested over and over again. When we go into a city and we identify the top 10 schools, we're, we're kind of hanging our hat on. that. We're saying, hey, here they are. We don't know anything about these schools, really, but, you know, we know that they're outperforming. Mm -hmm. And again and again, we've just gotten confirmation from from cities. I mean, we've published 50, probably 50 blog posts in different cities saying, hey, here's the top 10. Here's the top, you know, and the, you know, the response that we get from superintendents, from principals, from teachers has been incredible. You know, uh, you know, I get, I'll get an email from a principal saying, you have no idea what this did for the morale of our teachers today. We know we're a great school. We have incredible staff. And to get this recognition has been, is, is, uh, is incredible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's, there's great teachers in great schools 
pretty much everywhere, right? I mean, I think there's so many great teachers out there doing great things. And the real difference is, you know, income and opportunity and how, how much children are read to before they go to school, how many words are spoken to them at home, all those different things. And so, yeah, I, I love the, the work that you guys are doing and kind of the, the problem that it highlights. I definitely think it's an uphill battle because when you have things like great schools that are just so out there that people just kind of look at and then just, they don't really dive into, well, how is that score made? They just kind of take it as fact unfair or accurate or not, it kind of becomes reality. Perception becomes the reality. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you know, we talked about this a little bit with the, the idea of time and diversity, um, but I'm curious, you know, what, what is your message for parents or home buyers out there? I mean, what can they do? Because I get that, you know, no parent or homeowner wants to be the guinea pig and be like, well, I'm going to send my kid to a, a two out of 10, you know, but if they don't have access to the data, I mean, what is the advice for them? Like, how how do they kind of sift through all of this? Yeah, sure. Um, gosh, you know, it depends on who I'm talking to, right? Because you, you just there's so many different types of home buyers. They have different budgets. They have different things they're thinking about when they're when they're looking at school um, or looking at schools. Like for example, a, a black family moving to a new community, they're thinking about some, some, you know, you know, really hard things. Racism is a real phenomenon in, in the U S and it's everywhere. And a black family is very concerned about their child being exposed to that at a young age when they're forming their identity and self-worth and, um, the, you know, and, and they're very protective of that. For, for that family, um, identifying a place, a school that is, is, has the, the kind of proper things in place when it comes to controlling racism, like how do you find that? Our system identifies a short list of schools that may be doing that really well because there's an incredible principal at the helm who's created a great culture where kids are overperforming. It's likely that racism takes a backseat to inclusion and celebration of differences at those schools. And so for that family, I think many black families tend to send their kids to school that is predominantly black in order to avoid racism and for good reason, mm-hmm. you know, my system is a way for, for that child, maybe get, get more diversity in an environment that isn't going to be detrimental. Right. Right. And so then if we look at a white family, um, it's the same thing, right. You know, where can I send my school? Like, what, first of all, you know, white, you know, I think white families have an issue with sending their kid to a school where their child's a minority. And, but for those parents that you know, get it, that being in a diverse environment is actually going to be one of the best things I can do. Mm-hmm. Where can I find a place where being a minority isn't going to be detrimental? It's going to be those outperforming schools that have a strong principle where, you know, 
um, a celebration of differences is there and, and everyone's treated equally. And in that, those are, you know, those schools are are the ones where inclusion is most likely to be successful. Mm -hmm. But many of those schools right now are some, you know, some of them are already diverse. Often these are some of the most diverse schools that you find. Um, but sometimes they're not. And, uh, you know, those, those schools have an opportunity to have changed that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is unfortunate what you said about, you know, I mean, unfortunately racism is a thing, right. And it is a problem. And so I think there are parents out there that genuinely want the best for their kids. They blindly look at the school ratings and send them to very homogenous places. I think there probably, unfortunately, is a group of parents that also get that school ratings are sort of code for you're going to send your kid to a bunch of to school with a bunch of other white kids um, that are affluent, and they know that they you know they may they may know that it's not truly measuring the school, but they they don't feel personally racist by saying, "Well, I'm just sending my kid to the best school. I'm just doing what's best for my child." Right? Yeah. Sure. No. I mean, look. I- you know, um, you know, we, there's no judgment on a family that says, "Hey, we, we want to live in the suburbs, and I want to be able to drive to the grocery store and not spend a half hour parking, and I want, um, you know, and, and you know, a happy, uh, you know, a happy mom is very important in a household, sure. and um, you know, and so, you know, there for some for many families having that suburban lifestyle is, is just kind of what they want. Um, to those parents, I would say, um, you probably want to know if this affluent suburb that you're moving to, or if that school is in the top 10% or bottom 10% of high ranking schools, right? right. Like, right that, that's, that's information that you should understand. Right. And school Sparrow will, you know, provide that information to those parents. Yeah. Well, Tom, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I mean, I think it's, it is such an important, you know, conversation because it impacts children, education, our future, real estate. I mean, it's all so intertwined, um, you know, which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Definitely encourage people to, to look you guys up school Sparrow. Um, they can, where can they find your website and more information about you guys? Yeah, schoolsparrow.com. There's an about us section. Uh, you can go to our blog. We can read about our top performers at in you know 25 different cities across the country. Um, you know, we we will be in every city eventually. Um, and that, that may be coming sooner than than I thought. So um, you know. Once once we're there, we'll make an announcement. But uh, soon, this will be a place where every parent can come and have a look. And you know, I want to be real clear about one thing too, which is I, I actually don't think providing one rating to a school is a great practice because one number can't possibly encapsulate all that makes a child love her school. Mm-hmm. But there is a ubiquitous system in place that is doing that, but they're doing it, unfortunately, in a, in a inadvertently, I think, in a biased way that's hurting communities. 
And so my system is one small step in the right direction, but eventually my system is going to incorporate a lot more data. It's going to be a place where parents can come and customize the ratings to what's important to them. If they, if they think test scores don't really have anything to do with their decision and it's more about growth and attendance and suspensions, then they can rank schools of that in that way. Maybe one school, you know, one parent wants a really good special ed program and we need football and an orchestra because our daughter plays violin. Yeah. So kind of letting parents kind of almost tweak the algorithm themselves a bit, it sounds like. Yes. That's, that's what we're moving to eventually. Right. Step one. And, and if on our system, if someone says, Oh, we parent, you know, uh, test scores are important to us. They're going to see test scores in the context of parent income. Mm -hmm. We're, we're solving one problem. We're taking that one step. um, And over time, we'll continue to layer in more data and turn this into something that's um, not just one score for every school. Well, that's great. It's fascinating stuff. And again, Tom, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Eyes on the Street, a Civic Brand podcast. For more information on Civic Brand, please visit civicbrand.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.